thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And I'm really delighted you're here with me today because we're finally going to get to the podcast I've been promising for the last few weeks. How do we build, how do we do what we do, whether it's at home or work or play, you name it, with a hope and a confidence that what we're doing will not be burned up on Judgment Day, even if personally we may be saved from hell. And You'll recall that we've predicated this whole series on foundations on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. And just to refresh your memory, or if you're new to this podcast, it's in that chapter that Paul says that there is no foundation that any man can lay other than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. Now, you may recall too, the material from Dutch theologian Herman Bobney that I went over that explains how there could be no creation, that there would be no created stuff if God was not triune, and that the nature of the Father was not generative, as demonstrated by the Son being eternally begotten of the Father, which, as we talked about, is why the Son is called the firstborn of all creation. That's in Colossians. So that is why Christ is the only foundation for all things pertaining to creaturely existence, at least from a biblical worldview, whether we're talking about human beings made in the image of God or rocks. That's the foundation for seeing and understanding all of those things. So with with that said, we now come to the question of building on that foundation with the hope that our labors are not in vain if they're in the Lord. That's an important qualifier to the verse that we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Obviously, for our work not to be in vain, we have to know what we're building and why. What is what we're building, what we're doing with our lives in every area of our lives for? See, that's the next question. Once we know what it is that we are or that we're building, then we know what to do, what it's for. So I'm going to throw a big word at you this week, metaphysics. And I want to encourage you to learn more about what metaphysics is. Don't be intimidated by the word as I have been in the past. Because if we fail to understand metaphysics, we will not understand what has gone on over the last many decades in our nation and really in the world. We won't understand what's going on now. And of course, if we don't understand what's going on, we will not know how to address the problems that we now face. And, and I submit that we, by and large, don't know how to solve the problems that we now face. For instance, in my sphere, too many think that we actually have a law problem. If we just get the law right, then we wouldn't have these problems. If we can suppress the teaching of CRT, if we can 
suppress the teaching of transgenderism or homosexuality in schools or, or we can get uh, certain books out of the public library, well, uh, then the problem will be solved. But really, the reason we have these law problems and need these laws is because our metaphysics has been and is wrong. Now, with that as sort of an introduction, hopefully metaphysics sounds important. I mean, it is, but what is it? Now, the simplest way I know how to put it is this. Metaphysics deals with the question of what a thing is and, as a consequence, what that thing is for. I've used the example uh, before, a real true lawsuit, that a guy sued because he'd gotten injured while using his lawnmower to trim his hedges. Because, he, see, he didn't know what the lawnmower was for, so he didn't know how to use it properly, and of course he got injured. But that's, that's really what metaphysics is. What is the nature of a thing? What is its essence? And, and then once I know that, I, I can know what it's for. So let me give you another example of practical, everyday metaphysics. And, and what you're going to see in my two examples is that metaphysics informs our ethics. And here's the important part for our law government part of our podcast. Since all civil law is ethical in nature, our metaphysic precedes, or perhaps I should say informs our thinking about what the civil law should do. And then, after I give those two examples, we're going to take a look at how the Bible talks about metaphysics and how many Christians, including myself, until lately, don't even realize that we deal in metaphysics all the time. And speaking for myself, this realization of metaphysics and its foundational importance has changed the way I do politics and law and government. And I think it'll change the way you think of everything, even down to the coffee you drink in the morning. And I'll share an excerpt from a wonderful podcast where somebody talks about how they now think about drinking coffee in the morning. So stay tuned in a future episode for that. And I know we can't cover all this today, but let's, let's dig in first with my two examples. The first is that as I was getting ready to leave the Tennessee State Senate, I was on a show with the head of the ACLU here in the state of Tennessee, and the topic was abortion. And throughout the show, I kept asking the director of the ACLU, first tell me what it is we're aborting. Once we know what it is that we're aborting, I said, then we can talk about the, the morality, the ethics of the abortion procedure. Because you see, if indeed what we're what the abortion procedure is directed at is a blob of meaningless tissue, which is what they tried to convince us it was at one time, well, then why would abortion be wrong? So, you see, you have to know what that thing is in the woman's womb before you can know how you ought to treat it, what it's for, how you should react to it. Now, here's another one. I had a group of Jewish women to come see me about abortion when I was in the state senate. And they wanted to insist that I not allow my religious views, which are metaphysical views. There's a little hint about future episodes. I shouldn't let my religion interfere with how I would evaluate this. And I said, well, I try not to do that. Just tell me what it is that's in the womb, and, and then we can talk about how to deal with it. Now, even though at the time I, I wouldn't have used the word metaphysics, 
You see, what I was dealing with was metaphysics in both of these examples. What is this thing? What's the nature of this thing? What is it for? And, and then, of course, I have to know what, what my nature is. What am I for? And then I have to put those things together to determine how I relate to that thing that's in the womb. That's metaphysics. Now, let's look at another example that's very um, current and been prominent in the newspaper, and that's uh, with respect to Judge Jackson, who's been nominated to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, she was asked the question by Senator Blackburn, can you define what a woman is? And she said, no, I'm, I'm not a biologist, not in this context, she said. Now, this is what I want to say to you. Though she was heaped with scorn and ridicule for not being able to define what a woman was, if we understood what had been happening in our nation in the last several years and where we are now, we would understand that her answer was perfectly logical and we would understand how her answer is a terrible reflection on the state of evangelicalism in America today. Because her answer was perfectly logical. If you do not understand that the foundation for everything including what a woman is and what a woman is for, is laid in Jesus Christ. Now again, I, I know that may sound silly. How do you lay a foundation in Jesus Christ? What in the world does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus is a person, and it would have been silly to me a few years ago, but only because I saw Jesus only in terms of soteriology, meaning that who he is and what he is for, which is really metaphysics right there, right, pertained only to my salvation. And, not surprisingly, I saw salvation in a very limited way too, which we're going to get into in future episodes, because if your view of salvation is based in a wrong metaphysics, you won't understand what salvation is for and the purpose of it and the nature of it, and you won't build properly on it. So as I said before, as I alluded to at the top of the show, the Son of God in his union with human nature in the person of Jesus is cosmic in scope, not limited to soteriology. Soteriology, in a sense, is, is a second-order consequence of the cosmic nature of Christ himself and the creation. He pertains to all of creation and every part of creation. But if I, if I keep going in this direction, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So, so let me go back to the question, why was Judge Jackson's answer perfectly logical? Now, before I discuss that, let me give you a quick biblical reference you can hang on to as I answer the question because it's one of the clearest statements of metaphysics in the Bible. So write this down and go take a look at it and ponder and reflect on it over the next week before next week's episode. And it's found in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. And there the Apostle Paul is talking to the Epicureans and the Stoics on Mars Hill, the Stoics being the people who believe that, in essence, in fates, that the gods just move things in certain directions and all we could do was resign ourselves to it, stiff up our lip, you know, that kind of thing. And the Epicureans said, look, it seems that if life has no real reason other than our happiness, uh, our pleasure, 
and how do we get the most happiness or pleasure with the least amount of pain? And so he's speaking to those kinds of people who are exactly like the kind of people we have today. Life is here and you're gone and you're eaten by worms, so have as much pleasure as you can with as little pain as possible. Or, you know, the mechanistic evolutionists were just all bits and pieces in a cosmic chain of cause and effect and just do the best you can, okay? Now what he says there to those people who do have this altar to an unknown God is he begins this way. I'm not going to read the whole section, but he says, the God who made the world and all things in it. Now that's very important. That is, as we'll talk about next week, the beginning of the Christian metaphysics. But then he goes on and he says that God is not far from each one of us, and he gives the reason. Because it's in him, for in him we live and move and have our being. So what Paul is saying here, God isn't far from us because our very life is, is dependent upon him. And there is the first clear statement of metaphysics. The things pertaining to our, our existence as creatures. What is life? motion and where are we going and, and are things moving or staying the same and, and being what's the nature of our being do we have any fixed being or is it all in a state of flux and becoming okay evolution is a theory of becoming with no real being see so so there's a sense in which whatever judge jackson might have said she could say later well that's not true because you see we're now still evolving so whatever it was that a woman was yesterday may not be what she is 10 years from now, which is not what she was 30 years ago, okay? Are we starting to, to get this concept of the importance of understanding what a thing is? What is its nature? What is its essence? Does it have any reality? Does it have anything that's fixed pertaining to it? And so Paul, in a culture just like ours, is talking about metaphysics. On what basis do we have life? Do we have movement and change? And do we have our being? So let me come back to that in a future episode. But I want you to understand that what Judge Jackson said will bring back, and I'm going to bring it back, overtones of our old friend Roland Van Zandt, who I talked about in one of our earliest podcasts in this series who wrote a book called The Metaphysical Foundations of American History. Right now, right now, just hearing the title of that book and what we've discussed today should set the wheels of your mind churning. He's talking about here the metaphysical foundations. What is the essence, the reality? What is this thing we call America? And that, of course, will determine what America is for going into the future as we look at its past, its progress from the past. That's what he's talking about, the metaphysical foundations of American history. And what he's suggesting in his book is that we have to rethink the foundations of America based on its history. And its history was rooted in the idea that there were certain self-evident truths and he's saying, we can't hold to that as the metaphysical foundation 
for our nation and its reason for being its nature and its future. Now, let me just quote a few things from him and we'll close today's podcast. He notes this, and it's very true. I'm just going to read you some quotes and uh, read them sort of in a narrative order so that they flow and make sense. But here's what he says. During the Middle Ages, society was defined by metaphysical and supernatural categories that interpreted the significance of things. Okay? You hear what I'm saying? This is telling us metaphysics and the supernatural interpreted things for us. But he says this. In terms, here's how it defined it then, of a denial of this world and the secular realm of nature. So what they were saying is there's this natural world, this sort of Thomistic idea, and it exists, but there's this supernatural world, and there's built into this a dualism. Okay, you hear what he's saying? So we were denying really this world for the sake of a supernatural world. And then he says, but with the discovery of a new natural universe and a rise in secular interests, departing from this notion of the religious and the supernatural, he said, this new world was a world of free and independent facts or entities that did not exist on any metaphysical basis and the conception of their origin. Now let me read that again, that this new world was a world of free and independent facts or entities that did not exist on any metaphysical foundation. There isn't any real essence or truth about the nature of these things. And of course, when he refers to the conception of their origin, he's saying they don't find their origin in God. They don't find their existence, motion, and being in God. We're not worried about their origin. He goes on and says, the world of given facts as specification of what is has been repudiated. So here's what he's saying. Again, we would have said in America, as we said in the Declaration of Independence, that there are certain self-evident truths. Now, the Christian would say there are certain truths that should be evident because in creation we should see the God behind them, but because of our sin we don't. We suppress that truth. But Van Zandt is saying here that the world of these facts that give us some sense of meaning has been repudiated. He goes on to quote another author as saying, there is a tradition that science begins with the observation of facts. And this author says, and scientists ought to know better. He's saying, we don't start with the observation of facts anymore in science. And he goes on to say this, completely exploded is the notion so long prevalent in philosophy What are we talking about here? Metaphysics. That's the philosophical term that would be the counterpart to what Christians would call the doctrine of creation. And he says this notion that's been exploded is that nature is a structure of given entities that are intrinsically meaningful, independent of the human mind. In other words, it doesn't matter what you think in your head. A boy is a boy. A girl is a girl. The unborn in the womb is a human being. He's saying, no, 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 no. We don't live in a world of given entities that have intrinsic meaning independent of the human mind. He goes on, whatever these facts are, are not in themselves equivalent to knowledge. Now, we got to understand this. This This is why we keep saying, yeah, but what are you going to do about the chromosomes? How are you going to get past the biology? And what he's saying here is that's irrelevant. 
we give the meaning to the facts. You see, we're arguing in the wrong universe, the wrong cosmos. We're arguing as if people still believe the Bible and God when we're on Mars Hill. As Dewey pointed out, and this is important because Dewey is the father of modern education. If you want to know what's gone wrong, well, just listen to what Dewey said. He said, these things are not objects of cognition in themselves. We don't really know them in themselves. They're only so as organized by man and organized as ideas and meanings that are conceptual. See, they're, they're conceptual. They're not really true. There's nothing given about it. And thereby, they are embodied in and correlated with socially agreed upon linguistic symbols. Our words give them meaning, not those things inform our words. That's why we're losing our ability to communicate. Van Zandt continues on. What this all adds up to is that the world of science, or the world of nature, insofar as it is made known, used, organized, and manipulated by man. What is he talking about there? So far as what we know what a thing is, its essence, and what we do with it, used, organized, and manipulated, He's saying, so far as we, as we know this world of nature, it is a world of knowledge that man has created during the course of his own historical evolution. Let me read that to you again. What this all adds up to is that the world of science, or the world of nature, in so far as it is made known, used, organized, and manipulated by man, is a world of knowledge that man has created during the course of his own historical evolution. And he goes on to say this, and with this I'll close. The facts are in themselves meaningless. You see, we're still arguing as if the facts mean something. And Van Zandt is saying, he's writing this in the 50s, he's saying the facts are meaningless. Science has established this, and America and in terms of its understanding of what it is and who it is and what it's for, it needs to get with it. The facts are themselves meaningless, and they only become known and ordered when they are embodied in hypothetical concepts and axioms. These concepts and axioms, in turn, are the free inventions of man. Do you see what he's saying? We make up our world and make up its meaning. And if that's true, then we don't know what a woman is or what she's for. Distinct from a man who we then can't know what he is and what he's for. And if that's true, then we really can't know what marriage is. You see, what Van Zandt is saying is all of these are words that we give meaning to, they do not reflect a given meaning. So when we're out here talking about the facts as if they matter, we're building wrongly because we've not yet established the metaphysics on which those facts have any meaning and our work is useless in regard to pointing to God because they will concede the facts, but they get to interpret them. And next week, we're gonna talk about 
what is the Christian metaphysic that gives us an understanding of who we are, what we are for, and how we are to live and to build. And I hope you'll join me next week for that on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.